but if my model works, I'm positive people can copy it. And, and, um, group visits certainly have been part of the solution. You know, you see a lot of patients, uh, you provide more services, you overcome barriers, you do it in a culturally competent way. People get to get to know one another. They have a better sense of community. They're less scared. They have less anxiety, less stress, and then they have better outcomes. And I get credit for, as a doctor, when my patients have better outcomes and have so little to do with it, that if at least I can put them in a good spot to get healthy, you know, I'm I'm moving the right way. You're listening to episode number 128 with Dr. Jeff Geller. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hey there, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Pursuing Health. I am very excited to share this episode with you that I recorded with family physician, Dr. Jeff Geller. Dr. Geller is a leading expert in addressing the impact of loneliness on our health using group medical visits. A little bit of background about Dr. Geller. He did his undergraduate work in electrical engineering at the University of Massachusetts. He then completed medical school training at Tufts University School of Medicine and residency in family medicine at Greater Lawrence Family Health. He has been conducting group medical visits since 1996, and he's built the largest group medical visit program in the U.S. Through his work with groups, Dr. Geller has pioneered what he calls the empowerment model, which is where small groups of patients work together to improve their health guided by a medical provider. Dr. Geller has served on the faculty of the University of Massachusetts School of Medicine and Tufts University School of Medicine. He's been involved in research around group visits and loneliness as well throughout this time. He also has a very strong interest in integrative and functional medicine, and he's completed training in acupuncture, osteopathic manipulation, and even hypnosis. He's well known for utilizing evidence-based integrative treatments in an underserved setting. So I recently sat down with Dr. Geller at the Family Medicine Education Consortium Conference to learn more about how loneliness plays a role in our health, how he has implemented group visits in his own practice, and some of the lessons he's learned along the way. Before we get started, I do have a quick reminder that there's still time to join in on our annual Family Christmas Marathon Row. Five years ago, our family first gathered around the living room on Christmas. We put on our favorite holiday movies, and we took turns rowing until we reached a marathon. That's 42,195 meters. Over the years, what started as a small way to stay active and spend time together during the holidays has grown into a tradition that allows our family and others around the world to give back to a cause near and dear to our hearts. This year, we're choosing to raise money for Barbells for Boobs, an incredible organization that works hard to improve the quality of life of those diagnosed with breast cancer. Breast cancer has hit our family hard in the past couple of years, with my Aunt Nancy currently in remission and Danny's mom, Barbara, now in the midst of her treatment. We've seen how difficult it can be to navigate this process, and we want to give back to an organization that is working hard to make it easier for so many. So if you didn't catch my last episode, number 127, with Barbells for Boobs founder, Ziana Hansen. Make sure you check that out for more info as well. 
So hopefully you'll grab a team of family and friends. There's absolutely no limit on how many people on your team. You can split your row distance however you like and row together anytime before midnight on December 31st. You can learn more about how to participate and how to donate to Barbells for Boobs at christmasmarathonrow.com. We hope you'll consider getting a group together this holiday season to join our family and others around the world in this tradition and raise some money for a great cause. Again, that's christmasmarathonrow.com to learn more. Also, before we get started, another reminder that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, we'll get started with episode number 128 of Pursuing Health featuring Dr. Jeff Geller. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm very excited to be here with Dr. Jeff Geller, and I'm excited to get into all sorts of topics about loneliness, the power of groups, um, and some of the work that you've been doing over the past couple of decades. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, I thought maybe we could start with just some of your background. So things that you were interested in growing up, and then what brought you to a career in medicine? Well, I, I feel like uh, we're all different people at different ages. You mm-hmm. know, the things I was interested in growing up was probably basketball. <laughs> sure. And I don't, know, I don't know how that relates so much to, to what I ended up doing. Well, we where did I ended throw a ball being. around in that group I did with you. So that's, maybe maybe it's playing a role. You know? That's probably true. And teamwork and, you know, mm-hmm. being with other people. So maybe there's some, maybe there are connections yeah. to everything we do. Um, I would say that as far as the loneliness uh, topic and mm-hmm. things like that, I was probably oblivious to it when I was a child. Mm-hmm. You know, you might feel lonely. You might see people who are lonely. Mm-hmm. I probably knew loneliness is bad, mm-hmm. right? Like most people. Doesn't feel good. Yeah. Doesn't feel good. But it wasn't until I was a, a resident. So I'm a family physician mm-hmm. and I did a, a family practice residency. Maybe, maybe not even medical school, huh? <laughs> but, you know, some somewhere during residency, uh-huh. it really became obvious to me that uh, being ill, it, it it's a perception. Mm-hmm. Being healthy is a perception. You know, you can have really bad diabetes, be losing your toe, mm-hmm. but you're happy. You're going about your life and there's no mm-hmm. problem. You could have just a little bit of pain in your toe. You have to quit work. Life's mm-hmm. over. Yeah. Uh, you feel isolated. No one understands you. And so um, the concept of, of how perceptive health is just became really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. You know, how how can I help someone then change this perception mm-hmm. when all of my education and training is about reality. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's so much more into it than just, you know, what the treatment plan is. It's how do we help people to understand and feel motivated and, and like you said, perceive their health yeah. in a positive way. Yeah. My new, my new quote is, mm-hmm. uh, there aren't any, uh, good doctors. They're only good patients. And I think when I, right. And, and how do I help my patients be good yes. is what my life work is. That's been. the secret, right? Yeah. And, uh, probably when I went into medical school, I was like, I want to be a good doctor. Mm-hmm. I want to make diagnoses. Mm-hmm. I want to give people the right medicine treatments, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm so far away from that. Other than I, I like people to have the right diagnoses, yes, that and, helps. <laughs> but what I've learned more is if I have a good relationship with a person, they'll give me the clues that help figure out what's going on with them, mm-hmm. right? And so I don't have to make the diagnosis the first visit. Mm-hmm. I just have to have a relationship that's good enough that we'll be together long enough mm-hmm. and that I'll care enough and they'll care enough to tell me that we're working together. We'll mm-hmm. figure it out, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, 
you know, what you think when you're younger and what actually happens when you're older are just uh, different things. And, and uh, you'll see that too, as you yeah. develop your career and, and go on. I'm sure. Um, what, what brought you into medicine and family medicine in the first place? What attracted you to family medicine? Um, well, in college, I was an electrical engineer. Oh, okay. I was bio, biomechanical. No, sorry. Biomedical, but I had a bioelectrical focus. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, engineering is problem solving. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I found is I actually worked at uh, Raytheon for, uh, some summers Mm -hmm. and it, it, uh, was a great experience. Um, however, I learned that there's a moment of creativity and then you spend a lot of time just figuring things out. Mm-hmm. And the work environment was very much one of being in cubicles alone okay. most of the time. Talk about isolation. <laughs> thinking, right. Thinking about things. Yeah. And then you have meetings yeah. and sometimes the meetings weren't well, you know, run because they're not being run by facilitators. Yeah. They're being run by other engineers. Right. Yeah. And then you go back in your cubicle and, uh, <laughs> And I guess I, I know that there's tons of ways to be an engineer and, and certainly that's mm-hmm. not everyone's experience, but somehow I said to myself as a, uh, junior in college, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having done a lot of these internships mm-hmm. and ready to start a career in engineering, I'd rather spend more time talking to people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so an engineering degree, uh, has just about all the same prerequisites as you may know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just applied and got into medical school oh. and, uh, exit stage left, enter stage right. And, um, you know, the family medicine became obvious to me because I felt, you know, specialized medicine was just learning too little, mm-hmm. you know, to learn so little, you know, just learning so the foot, focused, just learning yeah. the skin, just learning one area. Um, and, and I know there's a lot in depth you can get in those areas, but I knew I needed to have a, a broader sense of mm-hmm. who people were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So family medicine is a way to do psychotherapy. It's a way to get into the insights of people, to motivate people, um, talk about people's families, their lives, their, their career goals. You know, it's not just let me look at that mole, you know, which a lot of people enjoy that. And that's important work, but that wasn't me. So I, I chose family medicine. Yeah. And like you mentioned before, it's, that's the, where the relationship becomes really the center and that's what you get to do in family medicine. I think that's what drew me to it too, is being able to develop those long-term relationships with people. Mm-hmm. So at what point you said, sort of you, you made this realization of our perception, how our perceptions are different and how that impacts our health. But when did you really make the realization that loneliness was p- playing a big role in people's health or in people's perceptions? Well, you know, you should know I was an introvert. Now, okay. I, now I'd consider myself more extroverted. Oh, wow. I didn't know it was possible to switch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think if I, you know, Meyer Briggs, if yeah, you test yeah, me, yeah. I'm probably still an introvert. Okay. I like spending time you alone. you can force extroversion when you I like talking to people. To, yeah. Right. Yeah. If I'm in a room, I'll ask a question. I'll yeah. answer a question. Yep. I'll participate. Um, when I was younger, I wouldn't. So, okay. so I think I did change. That's awesome. Yeah. So... Um, I did research. Mm -hmm. So I said, oh, okay, loneliness seems bad. And I found out that there really wasn't a lot of loneliness research. Okay. In fact, there was hardly any. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a variety of reasons for that, which are... uh, we can get into the industrial Mm -hmm. medical complex at some point. (laughs) (laughs) But... um, you know, there was a uh, some guy, uh, stud- uh, Dr. Brown, studying loneliness, mm-hmm. and uh, he created a UCLA loneliness questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And so I had it translated into Spanish. You know, I did some things, mm-hmm. and uh, I started giving it to my patients. Mm-hmm. And I found out that, hey, guess what? My patients were lonely. 
Okay. <laughs> Ta-da. <laughs> and, uh, and then I did further. I did studies in uh, an emergency room, and I found out that these lonely patients, if you looked back a year, had visited the emergency room almost three times more often than the okay. non-lonely patients. Mm-hmm. Ta-da. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> it's not, right? None of this is a surprise. Right. Loneliness is bad you have for to you. Study it. Yeah, you but have no to one know. had really studied right. it. Um, there, there actually had been some studies in mm-hmm. Sweden. They showed that uh, people who were lonely were having more heart attacks. Okay. You know, there, there, there was a number of things, but, but nothing mm-hmm. uh, really significant. Um, but in my naivete, in uh, my um, uh, not knowing how important it was that I had stumbled upon something that could predict emergency room utilization. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, we were able to get a CDC grant. People okay. were asking me, "Wow, this is really important." Mm-hmm. Not because people are lonely, which is really right, why it's right. important. It's how do we make people ED. feel less lonely? <laughs> yeah. But really, they're like, "How can we reduce these emergency room visits?" <laughs> yeah. You know, how can we make people come less often? And mm-hmm. so I got a grant to study loneliness. Okay. And I was an introvert, nerdy, mm-hmm. electrical engineer, <laughs> now in medicine. <laughs> being handed one of the toughest questions in the universe. How, <laughs> How do, do you make someone feel loneliness? <laughs> but again, I don't know what it was, but I kind of said, okay, sure. Yeah. You know, I'll do that. Figure it out. I'll figure it out. Uh, and I thought of a couple of my patients who uh, were doing some craft work mm-hmm. in a local library mm-hmm. um, and they were uh, happy. They were those people who were sick and happy. And uh, so I said, okay, well, to reduce loneliness, I'll just bring people together. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of the the idea for it. We had funding for a space. We chose a funeral home. It's a good place to start. Yeah, had, had a lovely treadmill. Very long, wow, <laughs> lovely yeah. treadmill. Beautiful velour uh, <laughs> carpeting and walls. We did have to do a seance to clear the air. Okay. Uh, and I started a, a group. Idea. I started a group for diabetes. Okay. And uh, um, I used evidence once again. And I and, and so I, I, you should know I worked in the poorest uh, community in New England at mm-hmm. the time, a uh, place where uh, most of my patients spoke Spanish. They okay. were mainly from the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of cultural mm-hmm. things I just want to say before we talk about this. Yeah. So I, I looked online and online was brand new back then. <laughs> <laughs> when was this? Like what, what year was this? About? Oh my God, 1996. Okay. So yes, online is very new. You know, it wasn't like pictures, internet. It yeah. was words, Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, not a whole lot there, uh, but you could start to look up medical research okay. online and look at abstracts anyway. And so I, you know, I'm, this was my approach. Okay. Yeah. What am I going to do with a group of people? What am I going to do with a group of diabetics? What are the best treatments? And back then they thought that Tai Chi was the best okay. exercise to be doing. Uh, they felt that education, uh, in groups seemed mm-hmm. to be a, a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those were the only real two pieces. Okay. So I said, okay, I'm going to do a group visit. It's going to have some education. It's going to have some Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm going to do cooking because I felt like food is probably important in diabetes too. Yeah. And nowadays, boy, that would just be obvious. (laughs) But just back then I was avant-garde. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so I said, okay, come to my funeral parlor and we'll start a, a study. Okay. And, um, and what do you think when I started telling, uh, my Latina patients, Let's do Tai Chi. Mm. <laughs> Not received very well. No, this music isn't fast enough. <laughs> this music isn't loud enough. Oh, okay. We're going to do some cooking. Where's the rice? No, we're not going to eat rice. What are you talking about? You got to eat rice. Yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I would say quickly, but, you know, it was a CDC study. And mm. by and large, even though I don't think I was doing group visits well back then, 
Um, and I can tell you maybe later in this, this conversation yeah. why, but, um, they still liked it, you know, because my intentions were good mm -hmm. and I was bringing people together, mm -hmm. right? People who had something in common, yeah, you know, and what they had in common was just the diabetes was just one small part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, they were feeling lonely, isolated from their families, mm -hmm. uh, having uh, a sense of um, trauma, mm -hmm. you know, coming from, from all they'd come from. Mm -hmm. It wasn't easy to make ends meet in, in the city back then. And so, um, you know, I was bringing people together. And after three years, we had these great outcomes. Mm. Wow. So yeah. what kind of things did you find? Uh, well, it's published. Okay. And, uh, we'll link to it. Too. You can link to it. Yeah. Um, but basically, uh, people lost weight. Their blood pressure went down. Um, their A1Cs mm -hmm. uh, improved. And their loneliness improved. Even though it's a three-year study, it was like after month three, the loneliness was yeah. better. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we could end it a long time ago. Um, and then it was supposed to be a five-year study, okay. honestly. And uh, But at year three, my patients revolted. Mm. Okay. So when you bring a group of people together and you become friendly, almost like family, mm -hmm. they can tell you, can we stop doing this Tai Chi? <laughs> and can my brother come? Yeah, they called you out. <laughs> and you go, well, it's a CDC grant. It says we're doing Tai Chi. Yeah. They're like, well, can we start another class then afterwards? <laughs> you know, and I say, well, what would we do? Oh, well, we would dance. Okay, but I can't teach you to dance. Yeah. They said, that's fine. I know how to dance. Well, what would we listen to? You know, oh, my son has a boombox. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll we'll bring the music. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I guess we're not using this space afterwards. Yeah. So um, very quickly, we started another group, and it was like doing, I would say, a lot of what Zumba is. We okay. were doing Zumba. Yeah. <laughs> not to trademark copyright before anything was, like that. It was cool. But it was definitely yeah. Latin music, dancing, <laughs> but not as athletic mm -hmm. as like, yeah. you know, aerobics. Yeah, it was yeah. just in this very loose area. And people loved it. Okay. So what do you think my study group people did? They wanted to go to that group. Absolutely. Yeah. So they said. Sounds like more fun. <laughs> this is, yeah, thanks Dr. Geller. And, and guess what? They brought food to that group too. <laughs> and that food had plantains yeah. and all the foods that, that people really liked, cooked really well. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and that was kind of the beginning of what I call the empowerment model. Okay. You know, so what I had done wrong mm -hmm. is I didn't go to the community and say, what do you guys need? Mm-hmm. What I did wrong is I grouped people by their disease. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm trying to reduce loneliness, I don't know if you're, you, you're young, you may not have ever been ill. I have asthma okay. I'll, there. I'll share that. Okay. <laughs> and, but I don't know if any of my friends do. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I did, I don't know if it would affect if I'm friends with them. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the factors that really make you friendly with people? Yeah. Well, it turns out you may not even be able to predict it in advance. Mm -hmm. Having things in common, like activities, that helps. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you like exercising a lot, if you're doing CrossFit together, if you're uh, like to cook, you know, those could be factors that make you go, oh, maybe we could be friends. Yeah. You know, we, we at least would like to do things yeah. together in our spare time. But the real thing that makes you friends is going through something together, mm -hmm. spending time with each other in a way where you feel like that person really understands me and cares about me. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I didn't choose my parents. I'm different than them, mm -hmm. but they, they care about me. Yeah. They've been there for you. They've been there for me. times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, uh, I have friends who aren't vegetarian, but boy, they're there for me. Mm -hmm. I'm a vegetarian. Yeah. Does it matter? No. Yeah. So, you know, that secret is to actually bring people together and have their input to make, to make their own environment. Mm -hmm. And then for me to facilitate it, you know, because, uh, 
not everyone likes to go to a meaningful place in a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, like we didn't start our conversation today with what's the most meaningful thing right, to you? Right, you know, What's it, the it's, purpose it's, of life? It's like, yes. how are you? Where are you? What do you do? Those, right. are, those are nice questions, but they're not really too meaningful, mm-hmm. you know? It's interesting what you say about going through something difficult together because I'm always thinking about this in context of the, you know, the CrossFit community is something I'm involved in. And we always talk about what makes that community, what makes that bond so strong. And I always come back to, I think it is that you go through really difficult workouts together. You push each other, you see each other overcoming challenges. And I think that is really what brings people from different walks of life together that are friends that otherwise probably wouldn't be. So we're seeing it in the CrossFit gym too. Bingo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I create those environments without exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, you can create them with yoga. You yeah. can create them just by talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and what people are going through in a, a um, an underserved community, mm-hmm. like where I work, are, you know, the real life things. You know, um, you know, having a child in prison, mm-hmm. uh, uh, having infidelity. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our city had a series of gas explosions. Oh, gosh. Um, and fires. And... Uh, you know, everything you go through has a negative to it, mm-hmm. but boy, uh, what a great community in terms of strength, mm-hmm. you know, that we're in right now. And, uh, uh, I personally, I've just changed my practice and my patients are all coming with mm-hmm. me because we've been through things together. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about a relationship with anybody, including a physician, yeah. you know, was I there for them when they were sick? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And in CrossFit, if someone's struggling, are you there and coaching them? Is that, I don't know the model of CrossFit too well. Yeah. The sort of the typical thing we talk about is at the end, you know, at the end of the workout, the last person who finishes gets cheered louder than the first person. So sort of if you finish the workout first, you're cheering on all the rest of the people who are finishing. And it's more about helping people to overcome their obstacles or, you know, pushing themselves through when they want to quit. Um, and so there's a lot of sort of celebration of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we do. And, and the group model that we uh, use mm-hmm. now, um, which is the empowerment model, mm-hmm. uh, it's really about building relationships first, right? Mm-hmm. And the way you build relationships is um, by being together and, and doing things together. And so I, I might even have everyone cross the finish line at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and, and everything we do, if it's exercise, you're handing the ball to each other. Yep. You yep. know, if you're doing yoga, you're sitting next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you're asking people how'd it go, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm constantly thinking, how can I introduce relationship into this activity we're doing, mm-hmm. you know? And some of the ways that you do that, like you talk about, obviously people coming into these groups, if they're already feeling maybe lonely or isolated, or maybe they're introverted, like you said, you used to be, how do you, what are some of the things that you do in facilitating that helps people to sort of feel comfortable and be able to start having those vulnerable moments? Uh, well, I've learned a lot. So, so I'm going to give you the hints, but okay. I want you to know that I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So anyone out there who wants to work in groups, uh-huh. don't be afraid to make mistakes because mm-hmm. if your intentions are good, mm-hmm. you're, you know, everyone there will know mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. you'll be off the hook. But, um, you know, so I could phrase it as the biggest mistakes I see, (laughs) but things I try and avoid Mm -hmm. is, uh, putting people on the spot, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, 
you know, people might come late. You, you don't know why they're late. You, mm-hmm. So you make everyone feel welcome. Like, right. oh, it's good to see you. It's, mm-hmm. you know, oh, we'll make room for you. You're, you're welcome here. Mm-hmm. And instead of going around a big circle and saying, what is your name and why are you here? And what's mm-hmm. your favorite ice cream? Things that aren't meaningful. Mm-hmm. I try and create environments of meaningfulness. So, so we would break into small groups, let's okay. say. And I would randomize people. So I don't want friends. If you came with your husband, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have you talk to your husband. Mm-hmm. You can talk to him anytime. Right. You know, you're going to meet someone new. Mm-hmm. You're going to learn how to build relationships. In this group, we are all connected. It's mm-hmm. not you're with your group of friends and they're with their group of friends. And by breaking into a small group, then you can have a meaningful conversation because you're not talking in front of the whole world. Mm-hmm. So I can say, okay, tell tell your partner what's been difficult about having diabetes this week, mm-hmm. right, or month or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the people in the group have a conversation. And then I can turn to the whole group again and say, did anyone hear something that was particularly powerful to them? Mm-hmm. And someone might say, uh, Jose says that uh, he's peeing every hour Mm -hmm. and he can't get to New York to see his family because he can't go on a bus because he can't. Mm -hmm. Wow. Has anyone else felt that way? Mm -hmm. And you see actually a couple other people raise their hand. It makes Jose feel like I'm not alone here. here. He didn't blow his own spot. Other people did it for him. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the group can give encouragement and ideas like, hey, I'm driving to New York. I have to pee every hour. Why don't you come with me? Mm-hmm. Before the doctor inside of me would have said, we got to fix this right. urination problem. Right, right. But the problem is seeing his family. Mm-hmm. And that was solved. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you do things like that. I guess I give you an example instead of specific rules. Mm-hmm. You know, we try and do activities, as I said, that involve everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try and group people not by... Uh, age or disease, mm-hmm. by, but by who they are. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a young woman who works in a, sing, a single mom, it would be good to be in a young woman who works single mom group. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, uh, we have so many groups that have started in my new facility already, uh, in the old place we had over 50, wow. you know, but we have groups for, um, we have yoga, we have chair yoga, we have a massage group. Wow. We have osteopathic manipulation done in groups. Mm-hmm. Um, we have support groups. Mm-hmm. We have a, a, what we call a functional medicine group where people are trying to mm-hmm. not use medicine. That's awesome. And you can be successful at that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, uh, meditation and mindfulness groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also have medication refill groups. Yeah. We have physical <laughs> exam groups. So if you need a physical exam, you're not getting it alone. Mm-hmm. You're getting it with other people. Wow. Yeah. And it's amazing um, yeah. because uh, in a regular physical exam, I've got 25 minutes, mm-hmm. right? And I might ask you about things. But in a, uh, a group physical exam, I might have four patients together. Mm-hmm. And I say, who had the healthiest breakfast? Mm-hmm. And it starts a conversation which leads to real world answers. Probably you know? more impact in terms of that, their insight into their own health and and their ability to maybe implement some changes or think about their health in a different way. Yeah. And, and then, uh, I've been doing this for a while. Those mm-hmm. people say, can we come back together next year? <laughs> <laughs> now they're physical exam buddies. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like every year, Hey, yeah. what's changed with you? You know? And, and so it stops being about a physical and more yeah. just like a little 
family get-together, you know, the physical right. exam, unfortunately, we're finding our actual exam right. isn't that important. Right. I'll make sure they get colonoscopies. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll make sure they get mammograms. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll take care of what, what needs to because mm -hmm. there is real medical care. Mm -hmm. um, I'll meet with people individually for, for some time during that mm -hmm. visit. But they're going to learn a whole lot more about, uh, about the world and everything. You know, then my nurse comes in, gives the vaccines. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get it. I am going to get it. <laughs> right. Who's going to get it? Who needs what? Yeah, yeah you have, everything is like a conversation. Yeah. And, oh, uh, so cool. and I think that's, that's one of the ways it should be. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, you mentioned the different types of groups that you have now. What have you learned over the years about how you structure the groups in order to get the right people together or how you sort of advertise them to get people to be with other people like them? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I think you just think of the most common diagnosis mm -hmm. and you make a space for those people. Okay. Right. So it's back pain and headache, mm -hmm. right. And then you have sick visits and things mm -hmm. like that. And so, but instead of grouping people by their disease, you know, so for you, for back pain, maybe yoga is the answer. Mm -hmm. Maybe for another person, it's a massage. Mm -hmm. Maybe for another piece, person, it's medications, mm -hmm. right. Another person is exercise. Right. So helping them figure out what they can do, okay. you know, to make their health better. And then they they'll they'll kind of get to explore different groups. Um, what we basically create is open access. Mm -hmm. So people love it. You know, they'll call up. Oh, I have back pain. And then the receptionist will say, would, would you want to come to the acupuncture group mm -hmm. or the massage group? Right. Or, you know, what do you need? So it you kind know? of eliminates almost your your need to have an office visit with them first and just say, hey let's empower you to try whichever modality you yeah, want to try. But we bill for those, their office mm -hmm. visits, you know, it's, uh, it is a business, mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, it's one where I think we have the biggest impact and give the most back to our patients. Mm -hmm. You know, they get so many services. Um, you know, we, we try and, uh, uh, in terms of reducing loneliness, you know, we have a tremendous team. So my staff has been with me for years. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Marisol and Crystal. Awesome. They're amazing. <laughs> and they kind of, on the phone, we'll talk to patients too and get a sense okay. of where they belong. Oh, you know, we have cool. we have fewer men than women, mm -hmm. but we have a couple group that are predominantly men. Mm -hmm. You know, and so their exercise tends to be more weightlifting, mm -hmm. and it's stereotypical, yeah. but it's That's what's what happened, like, yeah. right? And uh, and so they honestly do a lot of the the support for our patients. Okay. You know, when when you do things in groups, it's not me, the doctor, solving things because mm -hmm. I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I, and I probably can't anyway. It's people finding someone who really understands them mm -hmm. and understands where they're coming from. I'm not a, a poor Latina woman. I'm taking care of women, mm -hmm. you know? And so if they can give each other advice on what they do, where they can get fresh food, where mm -hmm. they can do things, what's going on in their community, uh, they're going to support one another, you know, better than I ever could. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm there and I am respected in the group and I participate mm -hmm. and I think I'm really empathic and I really understand what's going on but um, you know that's not the cure for loneliness mm -hmm. um, we we had these kids groups and uh, we used to have the parents decide you know it was every day of the week you mm -hmm. could come for a boys group or a girls group um, and that was fine uh, and we had some money for transportation from New Balance mm -hmm. uh, Foundation and uh, then we started to get a little smarter. We said, why don't we actually have the vans pick up kids who live near each other? Mm, that's smart. Yeah. It'll save some money. <laughs> you know, it's quicker for the van. Yeah. 
But then these kids will actually know, know their neighbors. Yeah. And it's a truth that played out. Yeah. Wow. You would bring a, a couple van loads, mm-hmm. 15 kids who all live within a couple blocks of each other mm-hmm. once a week. And they'd be with us once a week and we, yeah. we would do some meaningful things. Um, you know, with the boys, I'd really be teaching them how to communicate, Mm -hmm. you know, with the girls, I'd be teaching them to stop communicating so much (laughs) and, uh, you know, different barriers, different, different life skills. Um, but then I'd hear that they'd seen each other during the week Mm -hmm. because, you know, they saw where each person's dropped off. They know where each person lives. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's like such a beautiful, that's like beautiful, you know? So if the groups get canceled, they actually still have friends. Mm -hmm. They know where people live, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um. You know, we've done more imaginative things too. We've gone to the White Mountains to see the foliage. We've gone to the beach. Wow. We've, you know, and these things enhance the relationships between people. Mm-hmm. You know, just the logistics of bringing people in wheelchairs anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, is, is uh, you know, makes people feel very helpful to help others. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Have you ever experimented with different age groups? So like putting like young kids together with elderly folks or mixing up the ages up anyway yeah well we we have some HIPAA requirements mm-hmm. so we would have okay. to quarry every older person to let them it. work with the kids so yeah. we can can't do it quite like that okay. you know anything over 21 those people are inter, intermixing and seeing okay. each other but we've done over the years yeah we've done a, a lot of projects we had um, one woman her son died of a drug overdose mm-hmm. and so she wanted to get the word out to everyone not to use drugs mm-hmm. and so she, in one group we made a video to not use drugs. Mm-hmm. And then I showed it to the teen group. Oh, that's And so the cool. teen group thought that was the worst video they'd ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> not the ending that we thought, because yeah. the video basically just said, don't use drugs. If you use drugs, you're bad. You know, <laughs> bad people use drugs. Yeah. And, and yet, you know, a lot of people have people use drugs in their family. Yeah. And not everyone who uses drugs, no one who uses drugs is intentionally a bad person. Right. Let me say it that way. <laughs> oh, my God, right? <laughs> And so, you know, it hit the kids in, in a way mm-hmm. that wasn't good. So then the kids, I said, well, let's give them feedback. Yeah. So I videotaped the kids oh, saying, awesome. you need to tell us why, <laughs> you know, you need to whatever. And then they started telling more personal stories. You know, my okay. son, he was like this and he was such a sweet boy. And then he met this bad person and yeah. and just once he used this and then he died, mm-hmm. you know, and and. and then they saw that video and said, wow, mm-hmm. that was really impactful. Wow. And that happens over months. Yeah. That's not like, yeah. you know, they did it, then project, they talked, yeah. then they did it, and they <laughs> talked. But, you know, that's the, the type of enrichment that we're talking about. Wow, that's so you cool. Know, and, uh, you know, we have a Suboxone group. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is maybe the most well-known thing we did mm-hmm. in our program. Um, there were 12, 12 men. Uh, one of them was named Jason. He, uh, a lot of them have been in and out of prison. They're using suboxone mm-hmm. right now but they've been using drugs at other times and um he said geez i wish there was a book that i could read to my son mm-hmm. we're like what about what do you mean well he'd been in prison for six months or a year mm-hmm. and he'd just gotten out he hadn't seen his kid he didn't want the kid to visit him didn't want him to know he was in prison uh, he'd been using for the year prior to that so he hadn't seen him then either because he didn't want his son to see him when he's using yeah and now he's going to see him because oh. he's clean, he's out of prison, he's yeah. in the Suboxone program, and he's petrified. Yeah. And, the, you know, the group we talk, what do they do, What's what should we do? And uh, so we went to the library, mm-hmm. and we looked for books on addiction for children, and there was a Berenstein Bears book, okay. which apologies to Berenstein Bear fans, <laughs> but what they wrote in the 50s or 60s, uh, you know, it was basically Papa Bear was an alcoholic uh-huh. and was extremely violent with his children. Oh. 
And there's no way they could read that to their children. Yeah. Like that just, you know, yeah. they're like, look, I, I, I <laughs> use drugs, but I never harm my child. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's not. This is not the not message the I want to So we ended up writing our own book. Wow. Daddy used to be um, sick and he used to hit me with a stick. Mm. And we, 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 for about 11 months, we went through all these different issues. A lot of them had been abused. Mm. Wow. You know, a lot of uh, people had had other people addicted mm -hmm. in their families. Uh, a lot of people didn't do well in school. They felt like at an early age they'd, mm. they'd been targeted or maybe had attention issues that were never diagnosed, you know. And mm. so each one of those became a page in our book and uh an area where you could stop and then say hey young son mm -hmm. this is what you know so um there was a time when he wasn't there i used to think he didn't care i remember oh. that was one of the pages yeah and that's a time to say you know i didn't see you but i did care about you yeah. right so you yeah. can almost see reading this the book and yeah. yeah so um so that book got published and it's the number one resource used at least in new england wow. um right now it's free online mm -hmm. Um, daddy used to be sick and he's much better now is the new title because oh, we cool. couldn't say daddy used to be sick, used to, <laughs> you know, and how proud were the people in that group? Oh, they yeah. weren't addicts for a year and a half. They were authors, uh -huh. That's right? So cool. There were people helping other people. Mm -hmm. And of those 11 or 12 people, 10 of them were clean for wow. a year and a half. Wow. And in the field of Suboxone, 12% is considered normal. 20% mm -hmm. is considered good. Okay. So that's For huge. four months, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why? Mm -hmm. We know why. Yeah. Right. It's because their life was meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, and they weren't coming to the Suboxone group and being told by me, okay, who failed this week? Mm -hmm. Okay. Who's dirty? What's right. going on? So I was like, so any ideas, guys? What do right. we got what going we on? What are we going to put in the book? <laughs> you know, we got an artist and we were going to have um, butterflies. No, we're not butterflies. <laughs> what are we? You know, so then frogs were rougher than frogs. So they became toads. Oh, okay. I and like then the that. toads got tattoos, you know, and... and uh, Lots of creativity. Um, but all the groups do things like that. Mm -hmm. And doing projects together is what really builds relationships. Mm -hmm. um, other mistakes that I've learned from... Don't ever end groups. Let people choose when they shouldn't be in group anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, if I said, look, we're meeting once. I don't need to know everything about you, Julie. I, you seem like a really nice person. Met your husband. He seems really nice. Mm -hmm. Looks like you're going to have a great career. CrossFit seems like a really great community to you. Mm -hmm. That's all I know. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I, I'm rooting for you. But I don't know that I'm going to see you and communicate yeah. with you. So yeah. I'm not taking the time to get to know you. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what our patients do as well. So if I say I'm going to have a six-week class on diabetes, they're not like, oh, I'm going to be with these people for a long time. Right. It's like, well, okay, what do I have to learn? Mm -hmm. And let's say they, they don't like education, so then that group's no good either. Mm -hmm. Right. So what you do is instead you say, well, we're going to have an ongoing program, and so let's actually spend this first session getting to know each other mm -hmm. and identifying what we want to learn for the next rest of our life. Mm -hmm. You know, and then um, that's been the most successful strategy. And there's some people who never leave. You know, maybe they don't have other family. We celebrate Christmas together. We celebrate Thanksgiving yeah. together. We celebrate funerals together. Mm -hmm. We celebrate births together. You know, and um, a lot of doctors may not feel comfortable with that, but that's like the best way to, to heal people. Mm -hmm. uh, I was telling people avoid egg yolks at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now I tell them eat egg yolks. <laughs> I was telling them drink diet soda. Yeah. Now I say don't drink diet soda. <laughs> I'm telling them take beta blockers yeah. don't take beta blockers <laughs> yes take beta blockers wait only take beta blockers now if you had a heart attack wait stop it all together <laughs> only if you've also if you had a stroke right yeah. so so like i know 
the whole profession has issues. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to do the best we can. Yeah. And our patients are trying to do the best we can. But if they know you as a person and you know them as a person and they know each other mm-hmm. and you as a physician are outnumbered, mm-hmm. y- you know, then they're empowered. Yeah. You know, and people are really getting the care they need the the way they need it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it humbles you. It humbles everybody. Mm-hmm. It's just like, um, you know, we anyway. So I could go yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about how you implement this in sort of a medical setting in terms of the just the logistics of billing doing like you said they're open groups so people can come as often as they want but at what point do you bill for medical care and how does that work as you flow through so i'm going to tell you all the resources you need okay. are at uh my a new website so oh, i started nice. a nonprofit called the integrated center for group medical visits Excellent. my partner paula gardner she's maybe the lead researcher in group visits in the world okay uh, if not she's She's right there. Up there, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I probably have the most experience doing group visits, mm-hmm. doing 50, 30, 50 group visits a week for 25 years. So wow. together we're, we're working to make sure that it's easy for people to do group visits. Mm-hmm. Um, we make our money being doctors, mm-hmm. right? This is a true nonprofit mm-hmm. just to, to protect us and make sure that people have the resources they need. Mm-hmm. And so there's, a, there's manuals there on how to do it. So just mm-hmm. check out those resources. Um, and see the research that's done. We uh, have trainings that people can come to in person, um, but we also have um, what they call webinars, mm-hmm. you know, which will be free and just, okay. you know, so that people can learn that way. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question, uh, you build patients just the way you normally build patients. Mm-hmm. And the group visit and the group activity is free of charge. Cool. Right. So it's just like the most exciting waiting room ever in the yeah, planet. Right? You know, so if you're doing, together. if you're doing Zumba, <laughs> I love that. The most exciting. If you're doing room. CrossFit together, just yeah. imagine you're doing CrossFit, but then there's a doctor right there. Mm-hmm. And once a month, once every six weeks, if you have a chronic illness, mm-hmm. you know, I know a lot of your CrossFit patients maybe started having chronic illnesses mm-hmm. and they're using this as a way to, mm-hmm. to treat them. Well, they need to be monitored, mm-hmm. right? It's not a good idea to lose weight really quickly without eating well and yeah. doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so then the doctor says, Hey, uh, Jimmy, come here. I'm going to talk to you. Uh, how are you doing? How's the family? How's the job? How's life? Oh, you have pain in your shoulder. Okay. Uh, it's muscle. Don't worry about it. No, it's, it's joint. Hey, maybe we should Mm -hmm. do different exercises. And then you bill for that encounter. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, well, I just saw him. He has shoulder pain. I'm billing for shoulder pain. Mm -hmm. Continue your CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is you're using, you're being generous as a clinician. Mm-hmm. You're using the money from that individual visit to pay for these other services. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm excited to potentially be entering into a capitated system, mm-hmm. which means that you get money up front for taking care of your patients. Yeah. And that changes everything. Yeah. Right now, I, I know it's a cliche, but we're doctors, we're kind of paid for keeping you ill. Right, right. We get paid when you're sick and you come in to see us. Yeah. So if you come in 30 times a year, I earn... 30 times as much as if you come in once a year, mm-hmm. right? And and that kind of drives it. This new capitated system, which I can't wait for it to, you know, mm-hmm. it exists in some places yeah, in some yeah. ways. Um, but let's say I, I'm given $3,000 to take care of, of a patient. Mm-hmm. Well, or, or let's say a thousand patients. Well, suddenly I have $300,000. Yeah. And I'm positive that that patient will use the emergency room less. They'll need less medication prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be able to give them services like yoga, tai chi, that, mm-hmm. that keeps them healthier, massage. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be able to pr- build connections between people. And, uh, y- 
you know, that makes me want to keep people well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the motivation is aligned. Yeah. <laughs> so, aligned. so um, you know, right now, though, that's not the going model. The going model, so in a Suboxone group, if I have eight to ten people there, mm-hmm. um, we all talk in a group. I pull them aside individually. We, we discuss their, their urine results mm-hmm. and if they're clean or dirty, and we, we give their Suboxone I, if there are other medical issues in a diabetes group. I might only bill them every three months. Mm-hmm. They can come to the group as often as they want, but every three months I'm going to check a hemoglobin A1C and, and do the real diabetic care that I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, in our sick visit group, well, that's just people coming in when they're sick. So, you know, if there's six people in the group, I'll I'll bill all of them. Yeah. And so the, what really makes it work financially is that I'm seeing five, six patients per hour, mm-hmm. right, and doing a better job than I would mm-hmm. seeing two or three patients an yeah. hour. And... Not to mention the patients are happier because otherwise you have patients sitting in a waiting room, maybe you're running behind, they're getting irritated, but now, you know, all that time is being utilized in a positive way. Paula has made me aware of so much research out there. (laughs) Um, You know, I believe it's five visits before a patient feels less stress and less loneliness from being in a group. Providers in about six months are like a million, um, this is not true data, right? (laughs) A million percent. (laughs) A lot. <laughs> happier with their jobs. Mm-hmm. They're less likely to be burned out. You know, they're part of a, a healing team. Mm-hmm. Um, all the outcomes. You know, I've uh, I've maybe seen a couple studies which show that group is no better than non-group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a couple. And yeah. then I've seen thousands of study studies. Uh, uh, Ariana uh, Thompson Lasted. Uh, she uh, she did a um, PhD thesis on group visits and really put together right. all the abstracts and everything. Mm-hmm. Those are available on our website as okay, well. Perfect. We'll check them out. Yeah. Um, and it probably, like you said, it depends on how you do the groups, right? Is how, how effective they're going to be. Because I think, I think a lot of times you see groups as a way, maybe they're trying to solve the problem of let's see more patients faster if we can do it all in a group. And it is a closed or I don't know what you call that. So, so yeah, finite an, number of visits. An, an open visit, mm-hmm. uh, you invite people that can drop in when they want. Mm-hmm. Um, they can come as long as they want. Mm-hmm. An enclosed model is like that six-week yeah. diabetes group. You know, and I, and I don't know where the CrossFit community is in terms of this, because if you're more empowered, mm-hmm. actually that short-term educational model can work. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're working in an underserved community, Mm -hmm. I can't just say eat healthier Mm -hmm. because if you don't have the money to buy the food and you don't, you know, you don't have the resources, then it's going to take a lot longer for us to figure this out. Mm -hmm. But in a resource community, you know, like if if people have jobs and they have some money and they can, you know, I can simply say this is the best diet and people can do it. Yeah. Well, then then you enclosed models better. Mm And, uh, and it is appropriate to build people each time they come and to give them real care and information so that they can be more independent. I want to ask some more questions too about doing functional medicine or integrative medicine in underserved populations. Cause mm-hmm. I think so many times people hear those terms and they think, oh, that's only for people who have a lot of money or, you know, I wouldn't be able to afford it or implement it with my population. So can you talk a little bit about what that's been like for you and working with your patients? Right. So, so integrative medicine isn't covered by insurance. Um, I helped found and was a past president of I Am For Us, which mm-hmm. is integrative medicine for the underserved. And that's an organization that just recognizes that if you're poor, you can't afford a gym membership. Mm-hmm. You can't afford a massage. You can't afford acupuncture. Mm-hmm. But if you're wealthy, you might pay for those things and they'll help you feel better and, and, uh, help you manage your, your illness. And so, um, 
there's many levels I can answer this question. Okay. Me as a physician, I had to learn how to do those things. Mm-hmm. So I learned acupuncture so I could provide acupuncture to my patients. Oh. There weren't any acupuncturists in my community because they wouldn't be able to make a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there weren't people trained in acupuncture. You know, it's not part of the culture of our community mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to learn acupuncture. Right. So one of the things that I'm very proud of is I've helped nurture in our community people who've learned skills. We have four or five people doing exercise in our community, and I'd say for sure four of them Mm -hmm. started my group programs. We helped get them trained to be exercise trainers, trainers, and now they're on their own, and they're helping the city. That's so cool. Uh, Our current uh, massage therapist worked with us, and she got uh, credentialed in Mm -hmm. massage. And now she's going to start her own private practice doing massage in our building at a discounted price because her rent will be free, (laughs) right? And she's giving massage to our patients, you know, usually in groups of four or five. So everyone gets a 15-minute massage. They get... 15 minutes on a table with a heating, mm-hmm. you know, device. They mm-hmm. listen to music with earphones for 15 minutes. You know, yeah. by the end of an hour, 15 minutes, people feel like they've been in a spa. Wow. And coming from our community, that's not it's hard to, that hard common. To so, you know, the first thing is we're developing talent within a community that mm-hmm. can help the community cure itself. Yeah. Right? Talk about empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the second level is, you know, getting at the functional medicine. I love functional medicine. Mm-hmm. But our current billing models make it very difficult to take care of, you know, the reimbursement for some of my patients is less than $50. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have rent, staff, uh, yeah. insurance, you know, you really can't mm-hmm. make a living if you see one patient an hour. It just yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't work. And so what we do is our functional medicine, we do it exclusively in groups. Um, we don't do, um, you know, there is a mis, you know, a lot of people think you have to do hair analysis and all these these crazy yeah, tests. Yeah. I, I'd say, yes, there are crazy tests in functional <laughs> medicine, but they're not crazy, stupid crazy. They're just yeah. crazy expensive, yeah. and I wish they weren't so expensive. Yeah. A lot of people have exposure to toxins. We just can't test them, mm-hmm. you know, but we can assume they have them, mm-hmm. right? And you can, and so when you really boil it down, we need less stress. Okay, well, that's what the groups do. Yes. Um, we did a study on our pediatric obesity groups. Mm-hmm. 70% of our boys lost weight over four years. I don't know any other study that's had results similar to that. It's not a uh, randomized controlled trial, Mm -hmm. so I can't stand on a rooftop and and say anything. You know, but the biggest thing that correlated with the weight loss was stress reduction. Mm -hmm. And in fact, stress reduction correlated more than drinking sugary beverages and more than exercise. I believe it. So so does CrossFit reduce stress? So that's a really interesting question. I bet it does. Yeah, I think that it does. Um, I think a big part of it's the community, the mm-hmm. exercise outlet. I think, you know, there are, it can be overdone though, for sure. And cause stress in other ways. If people are kind oh, of burning okay. the candle at both ends, um, which tends to be the type of person who does CrossFit is a oh, person no. who's a very, you know, <laughs> it's an okay. int- intense sort it's of person. It's okay not to be perfect. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so I think that's, that's sort of one of the things that we try to help people realize you don't have to be setting personal records every single day or you know sometimes it's okay to you know sleep in if you need the sleep or be with your family or whatever and and not beat yourself up about missing the gym but um, I would say overall it definitely reduces stress and I think a lot of that comes from the relationships the community and the exercise so so if I take someone who's poor and I see you need to eat pomegranates every day or you won't be healthy but there no one even sells pomegranates in the city (laughs) and if maybe it's too expensive anyway 
that person's going to have more stress after my interaction, mm-hmm. right? So they're like, oh, I can't get pomegranates. I can't get healthy. But if I say, what's one thing you think you can do to be healthier? Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the functional medicine ideas, and I credit uh, Rob Luby, Bob, mm-hmm. Robert Luby, yes. who I think is still involved in the Institute mm-hmm. for Functional Medicine in a great way. Um, he helped me develop our fellowship in Lawrence. Okay. He's taught me quite a bit. You know, just shoot, shop in the aisles at the outside of the supermarket. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be wealthy or poor to do that. Right. You know, um, eat the rainbow and I'm not talking M&Ms or Skittles, you know, eat <laughs> the rainbow the most you can. Mm-hmm. Right. And for our community, it means maybe frozen vegetables mm-hmm. in a microwave. Yeah. And for other communities, it means fresh organic. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but we do what we can mm-hmm. and we do it in a way that's like, you're a superhero for doing it. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, you know, you're failing cause it's not organic right, and you know, right. you're, it would be good if you can give up that gluten, right? you know, cause, cause, cause that's not really helpful. Mm-hmm. And so then you build community and you have people who are working towards not being on medications mm-hmm. and being healthier. And, uh, you know, we do get their whole history. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen you know, in one hour every week mm-hmm. for three weeks, mm-hmm. it happens over a year or two, Yeah, you know, and, uh, and it's just a different pace, but it's still, yeah. uh, so, you know, functional medicine, I, I hope gets reimbursed better. You know, it's mm-hmm. part of the policy change you need. Mm-hmm. Massage isn't covered by insurance. Acupuncture is starting to get mm-hmm. covered. You know, these things have yoga. These have true evidence mm-hmm. that they're superior. Mm-hmm to a lot of the medications that we're able to right. prescribe and get covered. Right. And so Integrated Medicine for the Underserved is a, a great organization. Our, our conference is going to be in Wisconsin at oh. the end of August um, right. in uh, just north of Chicago in Milwaukee. Okay. And so uh, I'd urge people to go there if they're looking for community on how you take care of underserved populations, okay. yet still want to do functional medicine, yeah. want to provide integrative care. Uh, it's a place with a lot of solutions. I love that. I love that. Um, and sort of leads me into my next question, which is, I think obviously you are doing a great job of bleeding what we do in, in medicine into the communities that people are living in. And so many of the, the problems that we have, medical problems that people have are obviously rooted in the way that they're living their lifestyle or the way that our community has sort of set them up for these things, whether it's the, you know, poor quality foods that are the cheapest or whether it's the, you know, the work life that we live where we are feeling very isolated or the lack of social connection or, you know, the lack of time for exercise or other activities, you know, the lack of insurance reimbursement for a lot of these things. And so that's where sort of my question and frustration comes is, you know, are these all, we're, we're paying the price for it as a medical field. We're kind of like faced with all these medical problems that people have that are rooted in their lifestyle, but yet, a lot of the solutions are not being covered by insurance or they're not um, supported. So we have to go out and do more creative things like you've been doing yeah, to but, address these problems. But it's it's a bit of a game because mm-hmm. there's an even bigger problem, which okay. is racism. Ah, yes. <laughs> and corporate America. Yes. And it's about money. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, uh, um, you know, I don't want to give any political views here or anything because I think whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you probably care about our country and yeah. you want everyone to have, you know, good health care and an even shot at things. Um, but, uh, it, you know, I don't know that yoga is the answer to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, education might be, mm-hmm. you know, clean drinking water. Right. A feeling that you're not oppressed. Mm-hmm. You know, a sense of confidence that you're getting a fair shot. That reduces stress more than mm-hmm. 
anything that I can do mm-hmm. as a as a physician. Yeah. You know, and so I, I've actually was I spoke in front of Congress last year and I am for us is doing a lot of political action mm-hmm. because I think I think we as a society ha- are having this revelation that mm-hmm. you know, what we think is fair mm-hmm. isn't really fair. Mm-hmm. And this is a bigger topic maybe than the health you want to <laughs> hear about in the podcast. You know, but what medication is covered by insurance and how come it's really expensive here, but not in, not expensive in Canada? And how mm-hmm. come um, you need to have a job to have insurance, but if you're sick, it's hard to have a job, mm-hmm. you know? And, doesn't make sense. and then, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense if you look at it in terms of, you know, what we can do. So mm-hmm. I, I, I wish I wasn't being so creative mm-hmm. and working outside the system. Right. You know, creating, I basically have created a... Uh, a, um, a private practice for the underserved, mm-hmm. you know, so I can have the control over making decisions, mm-hmm. which you can't have in a, sometimes a, a health center or something mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, and I can collect reimbursement, not at a rate that's really great. Mm-hmm. You know, I can make a living though. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, really I look at people who I'm taking care of and go, that wasn't fair. You know, they're not ill. It, the idea that you're a drug addict because it's all your fault mm-hmm not true not true and so we need to make big changes as a society mm-hmm. you know there there aren't good doctors they're only good patients mm-hmm. there aren't good patients they're only healthy communities yeah <laughs> it's so true so uh you know it, it's you know if you're wealthy you live longer yeah i mean yeah that's that's not fair right mm-hmm. but so important i think the work that you're doing because i think it can be so easy for a doctor to you know go in and do their job and see the patient sitting in front of them but like you said unless we start addressing these bigger community societal level issues we're not gonna be able to keep up i think with the the problems that people are having and we're not really gonna help them fix anything yeah the optimist inside of me thinks that the system's about to fail. Yeah. So, oh, I totally so agree. Then, so then, well, you know, it's getting more expensive yeah. each year. Everyone realizes we're spending too much money. And mm-hmm. why are these other countries getting better results mm-hmm. and spending less money? Mm-hmm. You know, and there usually aren't, you know, I know the freedoms. I want to be free. I'm in the United States. <laughs> you know, let me do what I want. Yeah. And so we don't want to give that up. And I don't think we have to, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I think people feel threatened by that. Mm-hmm. And I think that the people who do have resources really don't realize how lucky they are. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll see poor people and say, oh, they're getting free health care mm-hmm. or free, you know, but yeah. it's like, well, but who helped build this city? Right, <laughs> right. You know, and uh, yes, this one individual person, yes, maybe be getting mm-hmm. free health care, but mm-hmm. don't you live in a better house? <laughs> yeah. So, uh yeah. So I, I'm, I, I think that actually I'm part, I'm part of the change. You know, we're proving that there are other ways of taking care of, of people, mm-hmm. uh, physicians, healthcare, us doctors, mm-hmm. we only earn 6% of each dollar that's spent on healthcare. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is going overhead everywhere yeah. else. Well, overhead, emergency room, transportation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but the actual clinician, mm-hmm. and I think some of us clinicians are overpaid, <laughs> Yeah, you know, in some fields mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, family medicine, probably not as much. Not, yeah. Pediatrics, <laughs> not as much. Okay, guys. But, um, you know, and so, so if we just could get 9%, mm-hmm. then I could run a clinic that provides, you know, I'd be then taking money out of the other people who are getting it, mm-hmm. 
but in exchange we can make real programs and communities mm-hmm. yeah. you know that really um you know there there are problems you know uh, children don't have equal parents mm-hmm. you know some parents are very well educated and then can help their child right right and so so things don't need to be equal to be equal you know maybe you need to give more to, to, to some people it, yeah. you know and i'm not trying to advocate any of these things but um well i guess i am aren't i but um <laughs> i don't know i don't know what right or the specifics you know but uh but if my model works i'm positive people can copy it mm-hmm. and and um group visits certainly have been part of the solution mm-hmm. you know you see a lot of patients uh you provide more servi- services you overcome barriers you do it in a culturally competent way mm-hmm. people get to get to know one another they have a better sense of community they're less scared they have less anxiety less stress and then they have better outcomes and i get credit for <laughs> as a doctor when my patients have better outcomes yeah. and have so little to do with it <laughs> that if at least i can put them in a good spot to get healthy right. you know I'm, I'm moving the right way i love it what are some of the biggest things that you've learned from your patients or from these groups over the past i don't know however long you've been doing them um, so I've been doing groups since 1996, I guess. So okay. I'm not sure when this will air. Yeah. 23, 23 years. 25. 20, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, two engineers. Two <laughs> engineers. Well, it depends on, uh, <laughs> yeah. When were you born? Was it when you were conceived? I don't know. When, when did I first talk to people in a group? Was it at that meeting in, yeah. uh, in middle school? Yeah. Um, uh, the biggest things I've learned, well, I mean, I think I've already s- shared them with you. You know, there aren't good doctors, they're only good patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to think I'm a smart doctor, but that is, the smarter doctor doesn't do as well as the caring doctor mm-hmm. and the doctor who the patient trusts. Mm-hmm. And the way the patient trusts you is you're caring yeah. over time. And so the length of the relationship also matters. Yeah. And all of these little things, staying in a community, when I changed jobs, I stayed in Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Not the easiest place to work, but... But That's I didn't want to give are, up. Yeah. The, yeah, these are my people. Mm-hmm. I, I I love my patients, mm-hmm. right? That's beautiful, the part about caring, because the the founder of CrossFit, Greg Glassman, whenever someone asked him, what are the most important things to do to become a good trainer? He says, care, care, and care. He's like, you're going to learn how to do the movements, how to teach people, all these things over time. But if you genuinely care about your clients, then they're going to keep coming. And then you're going to you know get there and you're going to learn the other things yeah. that you need to know. And my clients care about me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's kind of embarrassing to say that, right? <laughs> but like if I'm having a bad day, I've yeah. had loss in my life, you know, yeah. things happen. Yeah. And, and geez, you know, they hey guys, this is what's going you. on. Yeah. When I was going through my job transition, mm-hmm. my patients threw me a party. Aww. There were like 200 people. <laughs> and uh, it was, I don't cry that often, yeah. I guess I'll say, but I was actually crying. Yeah, wow. And uh and uh, I was like, okay, I'm not leaving. All right, guys, we will, we will figure this yeah. out. We will figure this out. And my patients have inspired me to do things. I wrote a children's book, uh-huh. Herschel the Jewish Reindeer, um, because I would work every Christmas because uh-huh. I'm Jewish and uh-huh. all of my colleagues aren't. Um, and then I share that revenue. We, we, we then donate it back to our programs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've been inspired in so many ways, you know, just to be a better person. You know, that introvert mm-hmm. who is just very about solving 
very, I'll call them now simple problems. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I, I think I was working on the control of missiles at Raytheon. How do I get it to fly straight? That yeah. sounds like a real problem. <laughs> but how do I help has with her bad toe? Mm-hmm. There's not like a, oh, I'll just uh, take uh, the matrix and right. uh, <laughs> take uh, the logarithm and uh, multiply it. No, yeah. it's like, I guess, Edivy, what do you think you need yeah, to do, Edivies? What are we going to do? Right. And, um, that's the work, I guess. I love it. So I want to wrap up with three questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. So the first one is, what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Um, well, I read to my son mm-hmm. and uh, my wife's laughing because she wishes I did it more. <laughs> Um, yeah, I get, you know, they're all about family. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I talk to my parents on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I will say that the people I work with and my patients are family. Mm -hmm. Is that three things? Yeah. It's all about the relationships. Yeah. That's, and I definitely did not know that as a, as a kid, Mm -hmm. you started the interview. Right. What did you, (laughs) when were you a kid? What were you like? Right. Uh And it's like, um, I wasn't as bright, but I probably was quicker and yeah. smarter. Yeah, there's different, different uh, areas of wisdom, I guess. Yeah. Um, what is one thing that you don't do, or you have a hard time implementing, that you think could have an impact on your health? Um, I do a lot of very healthy things, mm-hmm. so that's hard. I, I have a bad <laughs> knee, so I go on a treadmill, on a okay. stairmaster, okay. for a half hour, three times a week. Because if nice. I don't, my knee hurts. Okay. Um, and that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you know, here I'll go in a different directions. Some there's something inside. It's hard for me to say sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always there's this instinct to blame other people when mm-hmm. things go wrong. I'm getting better at identifying that. Okay. How's that sound? That's good. I love it. The last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? Um, well, it's no longer a long life. I think I used to say live as long as possible. Mm-hmm. I think it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's about relationships. And, you know, you need enough. You know, you don't need a, a luxury house, but you need a, you do need a, a place where you can feel safe. Mm-hmm where you feel listened to you have people who who understand you and care about you um so so it's not all this ephemeral stuff you do need physical stuff mm-hmm. yeah i love it well this has been wonderful thank you so much for sharing all of your experience i think it gives me a lot of ideas as i'm starting out in my career and hopefully people listening to ways that you know whether you're in medicine or not ways that you can help to address loneliness and make some of those genuine connections with the people around you that are going to help us all to be healthier. Yeah. And and if we're ignoring poverty, mm-hmm. ignoring the people who are suffering, you know, I used to think, well, but you could still do good things. But now I think, no, you need to help people. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to make that part of whatever your career is mm-hmm. in the future. And, uh, you know, so everyone out there who's doing CrossFit, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone can afford to do CrossFit. Mm-hmm. But maybe there are ways that you can take what you're learning and share it with your neighbors, your friends, you know, whether it's just eat a little healthier, exercise a little more, exactly. you know, share what you know. Mm-hmm. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning from Dr. Geller and that you gained some insight into the impact of loneliness on our health and how we can combat that by getting together 
in groups. Here are some of my biggest takeaways from our conversation. My first takeaway absolutely has to be Dr. Geller's empowerment model. I've seen this to be true in my own practice and in different areas of life, but it seems that creating an environment where people feel supported to come up with their own solutions is often so much more powerful than imposing our own solutions or recommendations on others. So it's interesting to think about other ways that we can implement this, obviously in a medical setting, but other ways in our day-to-day lives as well. My second takeaway definitely has to be the tremendous impact that our social and environmental structures have on our health. I think that we often overlook the impact of some basic needs, such as feeling safe, feeling supported, and feeling loved on our health. It's easy to underestimate the amount of stress that not having those things can place on us and then the impact that that has on our health in turn. So surrounding ourselves by people who lift us up and can help us to build resilience and decrease stress is certainly an important way to combat disease. My third takeaway is that It doesn't have to be expensive to be effective. So I think so many times it's easy to get caught up in the latest health trends, especially when we think about integrative or functional medicine, fancy supplements, fancy testing, um, trying to have the latest and greatest to optimize our health. But especially as Dr. Geller highlights in this episode, as he works with underserved populations who often can't afford even really good quality food, it doesn't always have to be expensive. We can gain so much improvement in our health just by working on those basics, making sure that we have good relationships, that we feel supported, that we um, are in environments where we're doing meaningful work. Um, Even some of the other basics like sleep, eating generally good quality food, it doesn't have to be perfect. If we have all those big things in place, then our health is going to be significantly better. And the other things are really just icing on the cake. So remember not to lose the forest for the trees when you're talking about um, the latest health trends or, or little details that you're doing to optimize your health. So hopefully you guys picked up a few takeaways as well and enjoyed the episode. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health.